0: You're right in D.C. with Gail Trotter.
1: This is Gail Trotter, host of Right in D.C. Today, our guest is Scott Wall. Scott is an entrepreneur and he's a business owner in the D.C. area and also a dad. Thank you so much for joining us today, Scott. Uh, Thank you, Gail. I was very intrigued. You and I were talking one time about an unusual avocation that you have. You are a business owner, you're a husband and a dad, and you explained to me how you got involved in following this case of a missing person that I had never heard before. I'd never heard of this young woman before. And in talking about this, I learned another fact that I had never heard of before about how many missing people there are in the United States.
0: Yeah, it's it's actually pretty staggering. When, when I first got involved, uh, the the numbers were uh as high as a hundred thousand and the majority of them were female i I believe 70 to 80 percent of them are female and it's actually interesting because i knew that we would be talking about this today i actually wanted to make sure my facts were right and i went online to try to figure out whether or not those numbers have changed and it it's actually kind of hard because like NamUs, um, uh, has their number. And then, uh, and what is NamUs? uh, it's the national association for missing, uh, people basically. And, um, the numbers range all over the place. I mean, you see that there's numbers that people say that 800,000 people go missing each year, but then a lot of people, um, are found or they willingly want to go missing. And then there's people that actually just go missing. They've been met with, you know, harm in some way. Um, so it, yeah, it's staggering. I mean, when I try to put it in perspective, I think that you know my father was in Vietnam, and uh, over that entire war, there were fifty five thousand people roughly that were right were were killed right. And and in the United States right now, we have twice that amount of people that with active cold case files uh, of missing people. It's
1: very shocking, and I don't feel like we hear about this a lot. Sometimes we hear when a college student goes missing and it's in the news for a little bit, But and we see uh, press conferences with the tearful family, we see interviews with the friends of the missing person, but then it usually drops out of the news, yeah. goes on to something else.
0: Yeah, it's, it, it's, it's unfortunate. Usually the drive behind keeping the case alive uh is usually the family um and people associated with the family and that's absolutely what's happened in the case that I've been involved with. So
1: tell us a little bit about the facts of the case that you have been involved with.
0: Sure. So the case that I got involved with was uh her name is Maura Murray. Um she was a twenty one year old college student that went to UMass and uh I'm sure that if after you listen to this, when you get online, you'll start to Google it. And there are literally thousands and thousands of of places and things you can listen to about this case. But I, I heard about it early on from a television show. Investigation Discovery did. Um, and, her, and we'll
1: put a link to that show.
0: Yeah. It, hers was uh, Miles to Nowhere. And um it, uh, it was just a really well produced show that kind of grabbed my attention. And so I did what most people do as I went out there and started getting around on the internet and looking to see what I could find. And, uh, and you end up with more questions than you do answers when you do that. And I think even today, it's a lot like that. You, you don't, ultimately, everybody just wants to know what happened to this girl, Mora, And unfortunately, there are no more answers. There's just a lot more questions.
1: She disappeared in what year?
0: This would have been 2004. Uh, and it would have been February 9th of 2004. And she basically, uh, on a, a Monday evening... Uh, was at school, or, or Monday afternoon, basically was at school. She sent a, an email to her professor saying that there was a death in the family, which, which wasn't actually true. And then she, she drove north, and uh, her family used to vacation up in New Hampshire. So there's a lot of speculation that the reason she was going up there uh, was to just get away for a couple days. Um, but on her way up to, to where she was going, nobody actually knows the actual destination of where she was going. She came around a, a tight turn and wrecked her car. And it's actually kind of lucky because if she had just been a mile further down the road, there really was no houses a mile further down the road. So there was actually several houses right where she wrecked her car. Two different people called the police. Uh, several eyewitnesses drove by and saw her. Um, Did
1: anyone get out to help her at that point?
0: Yeah, there was, there was a, a bus driver uh, by the name of Butch Atwood um, who was on his way home. And uh, he pulled up, he talked to her very briefly. Uh, she indicated to him uh, from his uh, you know, testimony and, and video reports, basically, that she's, you know, she was okay. She seemed shaken up, but uh, she uh, didn't want him to call the police he had offered. She said, no, it's okay. I'm, I've called AAA. He knew at the time that that uh, wasn't true because oh. there was no cell phone signal in the area. So,
1: so this is a remote area. That is it in between mountains?
0: Yeah, it's when you go. Uh, if you look at like New Hampshire, there's really uh, two main highways that go north, and one is on the west side, which is 91. One's on the, the east side, which is 93. When you go up 91, you would get off into a town called Woodsville, and you would kind of cut through Woodsville. And and we, I mean, I've there's again all these speculation of where she was really going, but I think that she was probably. Cutting through Woodsville and, and cutting through that area to head over to North Conway, which is kind of on the other side of the state, um, and uh, that just seems to me like a logical way that you would potentially go. And keep in mind, this is like pre days before everybody had a phone with right. GPS, and and even GPSs were not as common. I mean, people used them, but were not as common then. So um, we know from computer records that she had even done like searches on like you know, sites like MapQuest when people used to use Oh MapQuest. Uh, Mapquest yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we know that she had looked at a few different places. She had looked at going up to Stowe, Vermont. Um, uh, and then she had also looked at, uh, going over to, uh, I think the Bartlett area.
1: So she was by herself.
0: Yeah. Every, every, I mean, there's a lot of speculation over the years that she could have been traveling with somebody. Um, but, I mean, it's that. It's speculation. We've never had any proof that she's actually was traveling with anybody. Um,
1: did she tell any of her friends at college or her family or anybody she was dating at that time what she was intending to do? or did she just as you said, tell her professors there was a death in the family and essentially, as far as we
0: know, take off? I wish uh, as of right now, no, it doesn't she, she's never. Uh, that we know we've you know we've talked to her friends uh, we want to continue to talk to her friends but uh, no like we don't she's never told anybody what a real reason was and I mean you can kind of deduce from what, what was left in the car like when they found the car all of the stuff that she had taken with her with the exception of like her keys her phone and her wallet were you know those were the only things missing so she, she had taken like a gym bag that had a couple days worth of clothes. She had taken her school books, which would indicate that she was planning on coming back, right? Like if you were right. going to run away, like I don't know why you would take your school books to study. So every indication is, is that she was not planning on running away. I mean, I know that, that, that that's a theory, and I always stay open-minded to every theory in the case, And, uh, so I wouldn't discount that, but there's just not much evidence that that's what happened.
1: So back to that night, it's, it's dark when she has the car accident Yeah, and the bus driver pulls over, speaks with her. She, she deflects attention, doesn't want assist, doesn't want him to call the police at that point. He goes and calls the police. How much time elapses roughly between when the bus driver speaks to her and the police arrive at the empty car?
0: I mean, uh, roughly there's about twenty minutes, twenty five minutes from the time that the local neighbors that were across the street, uh, the Westmans called uh, police, and then the police actually showed up and she was gone. Um, the best when you when you sit down, you look at the timeline, you have to uh, you, you try to estimate the best you can, how long conversations took. Ah uh, yes, and and then how long, like, you know, we know that she went to the trunk of her car. We know that there were some things that she did at the car from eyewitnesses um, that saw her. So the best that we can estimate is that from the last time somebody saw her till when police showed up was only about seven minutes. And in that time frame, that's when she disappeared.
1: Seven minutes. That is just chilling yeah. to think about that.
0: Yeah, it's it's actually shocking. A lot, a lot of people also think that... Um, You know, oh, well, maybe, you know, uh, there was an eyewitness that had come forward um, many, many months later and uh, said that, you know, oh, I I thought I saw somebody running in the road, you know, five miles up the road. So this was something that we looked into, like, could we have gotten to the area that this guy said that she had been running and the time frame that he said he saw her and it wasn't very realistic. I mean, she was a she was ran track at UMass, but she would have had to basically get out of her car and sprint a six to seven minute mile for five miles straight to get to this spot where he said he saw her in the dark yeah in the dark yeah in the cold not knowing where you are not having a flashlight or headlamp or anything like that and it is very very dark if the moon is not up up there there's there's really no street lights there's one street light on the corner where she wrecked her car Um, but as soon as you go down the street, there's just nothing. It, it it turns into a national forest, uh, when you just go a few miles up the road. So,
1: so the place where the car wreck occurred, you said was a turn mm -hmm. and was it icy at that time or what do you think it was just, it spun out of control?
0: Yeah. There's actually a lot of, uh, a lot of people that argue about this online because early on there was some misinformation where reporters said it had been snowing and it, it was foul weather. Um, The best that we can determine is that the roads were dry. That's in the police report. Mm. I mean, I know that police make mistakes, but uh, the roads were dry in the police report. There's several eyewitnesses that also corroborate that the roads were dry that night, uh, that it was not snowing. And if you go look at historical weather data for the area, it does not show that it was snowing or raining. It actually shows that it was uh, about 36 degrees for two days Ah. in a row. So it was actually warm for, for that time of night. Uh, the first time I was up there and we kind of like walked around that area, it was, uh, on the anniversary, one of the anniversaries and it was 15 degrees. So, you know, it was
1: warmer than you, right. Yeah. It right. was, it was much, it was, it was much than colder than
0: the first time I went up there and and even the 15 year anniversary of her going missing, which was just this last February 9th, it was five, you know, five to 10 degrees when everybody gathered at the, the, the tree where she had had her accident.
1: With the story, it is, I think, every parent's nightmare. You're Absolutely. a parent too, and it just um, tears apart my heart thinking yeah. about it. How did her parents hear the news, and when had been the last time that they had spoken with her?
0: Well, her father had come up uh, the previous the, the weekend before she went missing, and they actually had gone car shopping. So uh, he, I believe, the last he saw her was uh, Sunday morning. Um, and, uh, but they had, they had spent most of the day Saturday, from my understanding, looking for a new car because the car she was driving, actually, I heard that there was like one cylinder, it wasn't running very well. It was, and in fact, her father basically told her not to drive the car. Mm. Um, and, uh, so that was the last time that he ever saw her, um, which is heartbreaking. And I, yes, I, I think that, uh, also being a father, I have three children and I think that, um, The first investigation discovery show that was done, which is what I think hooks most people into this case, is uh, one of the reasons why there's so many people that have followed it over the years and that the media attention has continued to grow. But I think that one of the things that that show really did was it really helped you identify with, for me, it was uh, the father and her boyfriend at the time. I could kind of be in both of their positions and, you know, basically kind of see what that was like. And,
1: uh, was the boyfriend at the college with her? Did he also attend the same?
0: He didn't. Uh, he was actually out of the state at the time. Um, I mean, there's no indication that he had anything to do with her going missing. I mean, that's a lot of speculation over that over the years. Uh, I know that he, um, uh, from talking to Helena, uh, who, and who is Helena? Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Helena was actually a family member that was involved since the beginning. Unfortunately, she passed away a couple of years ago. Um, but uh, that was the kind of the first person that I had started talking to uh, when I was curious about the case.
1: And how did you find her to connect with in the First place.
0: Yeah, well, that's actually kind of interesting because um, is, you know the first thing I did is I saw this television show, and then you get online, you start digging around, and I went to the Facebook page that was set up for her, and I think that the thought is that those Facebook pages are probably set up by police to try to help, uh, right? Find yeah, and, yeah, and actually, what you find is that almost all of the time they're not; they're set up by family members. Wow, that's surprising. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's kind of shocking because now you realize that, well, what if the family members are not proficient on social media? What if they're not proficient with a lot of this? And in certain respects and the big scope of missing person cases, uh, Maura was very lucky in the one respect that she's gotten so much media attention over the years. I mean, it's kind of a weird thing to say, right? That she's lucky that she's gotten this attention, but there are just, tens of thousands of other missing person cases out there that nobody even right. knows the name of the person that are right. missing. Um, and so it's, it, it is kind of strange to have, uh, this kind of cult following of people that follow missing person cases because it's such a, uh, a horrific thing to have happen, but it's also like a necessary evil. Like you want it to happen to your case because you want the name to stay alive. You want the story to stay alive. Um, and if it and if that doesn't happen, you know, it's uh, it, the, the case can die. Because right. I think dies. that's
1: really tough because it's odd to me that people are so attracted to these types of cases. I mean, I think as a parent, you get interested in it and you want to help the family. You want to help find this young woman. Uh, but then it does seem like there are some people who get involved in it and they're a little off or maybe their motivation is not entirely pure. And I think you're right, it's a double-edged sword because that type of uh, enthusiasm or interest in the in solving the crime or the, uh, the disappearance does generate the attention that it wouldn't otherwise get. But then you get a lot of, you. Ha- I, I would suspect the family has to interact with a lot of very strange people.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, one of the things that's kind of crazy is that um, I mean, everybody's more of a warrior when you, when you're hiding behind a computer, <laughs> right? you know, like, I mean, right. I mean, I mean, I mean, you know, if you put missing person cases aside, I mean, you can go to any, uh, any Facebook page, you know, for media and watch everybody blast each other. Right. But if you're standing face to face with people, they're a little more polite. Um, but unfortunately the same exact thing happens with, uh, Maura's case where there's a lot of people that get out there and they just say some outrageously, hurtful things and they uh, some people they feel it's like their their duty like they think that they think that it's a noble thing to go slander people because and then they do it in the name of uh, well we want to get to the bottom of this wow you know? and and so it's crazy I mean it's um, some of the stuff that's come out over the years is just shocking the allegations that are totally unfounded are just shocking and I think that from, um, you know, some of the family I know a little bit better than others and some of the people involved, friends of Mora, I know a little bit better than others, but from talking to them, I mean, there's a lot of, uh, friends and family members that have a hard time following the case online because there's so many horrible allegations that get made that are just completely unfounded. And it doesn't take a lot of, detective work or digging around even just on the internet to fi- to figure out that There's no foundation for some of these allegations that get made
1: Right, but it's still hurtful to the friends and family nonetheless Oh hundred percent because they're already hurting. Yeah, and they already don't have this huge question answered
0: Yeah, I, I sat down with uh, on my last trip up up there for the 15 year anniversary on my way back I sat down with her one of her uh, high school friends Liz and you know, we talked about her best friend going missing and I think it's hard. I think it's hard to believe that it's been 15 years. And, uh, and she says that even a lot of her friends have a hard time following the case online because of, uh, how mean people can be.
1: Right. Well, and I'm sure there's a sense of loss and sadness and heartbreak. And also the idea for those girls that it could have been one of them too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Cause they're
1: exactly the same age. They're exactly the same kind of cohort of people. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that's gotta be traumatic, uh, just to even re-engage. I mean, it seems like it would be for, for you, you came in after the fact you didn't know Maura. Yeah. So it's, it's painful in a sense that you have devoted time to trying to help solve this, but probably it's not the same as it is for her friends and family that you know knew her so well, and and it's probably just overwhelming.
0: Well, it's it's weird because uh, when I first got involved, I mean, I'm not a private investigator. I'm not. Yes, yeah, so that's an important point yeah, to make. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not a private investigator. I don't. I you know I've never been involved in a missing person case before. I'm literally. This is the only one. Yeah, this is it. I'm I'm literally just. Uh, somebody that's like most of the people that are out in social media land or or out in the general public that heard about the case. And I think I'm a little bit more action-oriented.
1: How did you get inspired to do that, having not done it before and you're not doing it, you're not making a pattern or practice of getting involved in these cases? Why was it this particular one that you decided to be action-oriented?
0: I mean, I think the short answer is Fred, uh, Moore's father. Uh, I think that you can't see... One interview with him and not just be completely crushed and, I mean, imagining your own daughter going missing—it's—it's—it's it's, it's, uh, devastating. And you can, when you sit with Fred and you listen to him talk about his daughter, uh, it's really difficult. And, and
1: how did he know what to do when she disappeared? I mean, he
0: didn't know what to do. I mean, that's the problem with with all these family members—is they don't know what to do when somebody goes missing. I mean. And unfortunately, Fred didn't even find out. Uh, she Moore went missing; at, uh, had her accident at around seven twenty-five on Monday evening, and Fred didn't even know about it until Tuesday evening. And and of course, he was up in Woodsville to be to join the search for his daughter on Wednesday morning, and he got there, and he was the only one there.
1: Oh, my gosh. Yeah. You are kidding.
0: Yeah, there was no, like, he just thought that no when he way. got up there Wednesday morning that there would be, like, you know, government officials and yes. police and that they would be mobilizing to go find his daughter. And he got there, and it's, there was nobody there. It's just, Wow. So he had to go, f- you know, he's calling the police and figuring out what the next steps are. And uh, I don't think that there was really an official full-fledged search uh, done until about 10 days after she had gone missing
1: wow um
0: i know that uh that that first day wednesday that he got up there there was some searching done but it was very minimal so
1: so when you see the news reports of searches for missing people i remember when that girl got her parents were murdered of i think in october of 2018 and she disappeared i think it was maybe in wisconsin and they had on the news, lots of pictures of the entire yeah. town searching. You know, this is
0: this is the case. Um, I apologize uh, for not remembering her name off the top of my head, but this is the case where it was an illegal immigrant that I think was involved. Was that the one? No, this is a different one. Uh, okay, this is
1: a different one. This was uh, a 21-year-old man, I think, who saw the the 12 or 13-year-old girl uh, get off okay. a bus, and then went and killed her parents, and then. Took her. Oh, that's horrible. But oh they, I did
0: remember. Yeah, that is, I did remember reading about that. That's horrible. But they
1: did, they did find her. So I, yeah. I've always been curious, um, in in a very sad way, for the parents like Fred, who um, it's been 15 years. Yeah. He doesn't know if Mora is alive or not alive. Yeah. So is it harder for a family to not have that resolution, or is it harder to not have the hope? That she's still alive.
0: I don't know. I mean, I would say that just from my experience, from talking to people, that it seems like it's if uh, it's easier to deal with death than a missing person. Um, Do they
1: still have hope that she is living?
0: I don't think so. I think that I think that so many years have gone by, and I think that the indica- every indication. It it's I mean if you talk to her friends they're like there's no way she would have gone this long and not reached out to us. Um, she had a wonderful relationship with her father and father and her her siblings. So I mean there's just no indication that she would have willingly run away. I mean that's been a very popular theory um, ah. as one of the theories. I mean but every theory has been popular. I mean I've heard aliens. Aliens so, so, oh my gosh. So. But I, but y- you know, I mean, I think that it's um, I think after all these years, it's uh, it's, you know, when I talk to Fred, he's like, I want to I want to find my daughter before I pass away.
1: Oh. And her is her mother still living.
0: Her mother's not her, her mother actually passed away from cancer a number of years ago. And actually, she passed away on Mora's birthday. Oh. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it's incredibly sad
1: when you got involved you met with fred
0: actually what's interesting is i didn't meet with fred um and and part of the reason i bring up like i'm not a private investigator and i've never been involved with this i was actually i didn't want to overstep my bounds smart i just wanted to help out in any way that i could and for the longest time the only way that i found to help out was just to help helena with whatever she needed and it it, it was some video editing and then it was social Mm. media and um, and you
1: run the Facebook page, yeah. the official Facebook page?
0: Yeah, there's two. There's actually two official Facebook pages. Uh, there's a, a, a gentleman by the name of Troy Kilman that started one. That's a group page. Um, and then there's a public figure page, which is the one that I run. Um, and then there's also a YouTube channel for Mora where it's uh, a documentary. We, we basically try to find old news clips and. Uh, we put that on there for reference. Um, so, you know, I, I helped with that, but, but yeah, like I didn't, I didn't want to overstep my bounds. So actually I felt like it kind of wasn't my place to reach out to more a sister or to, or to Fred or to any of her friends or anything like that.
1: And what's her sister's name?
0: Uh, well, she has, uh, two sisters. Uh, Julie, uh, is, uh, stays a little, a little more active. She's usually in the news a little bit more and then Kathleen. So. Um, so usually when you see reports on television, especially since Helena passed away, Julie has taken a more active role, um, and, and helping keep more story alive. Um, but, but yeah, I I didn't want to overstep my bounds and then slowly over the years, like I've, I've just become more involved and actually the first time I've, I had talked to Fred numerous times, but actually the first time I actually sat down with Fred face to face was this just recently on the 15 year anniversary. And, uh, you know, I think the other part of the, this, it's really hard is, is that you get a lot of tips that will come in over the Facebook pages and people say, I mean, people have tips that are, that are really horrific. I mean, you know, you're, you're talking about people being murdered and, right. and, right, right and you always work through those tips to try to figure out, you know, how the validity of them. Right. But I mean, you know, Fred wants to hear these tips. Uh, And so being the deliverer of this, these hor this horrible information that could may or may not be what actually happened to his daughter. And then sitting there and telling him, I mean, it's very difficult.
1: And repeatedly, it's not like having to go tell one time this horrible thing happened. It's like re-traumatization over and over again.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I mean, you think about, I mean, I've only funneled a a fraction of the overall tips that have come in over the 15 years that more has been missing. Um, but I mean, imagine this is, this is a man that on a regular basis will have people reach out to him and say, I think your daughter was murdered. I think that people took advantage of her. I think, you know, and, and, uh, and he doesn't want to not listen because maybe one of these tips is what leads him to find his daughter
1: have the tips slowed down over the years or have they been pretty steady, would you say?
0: Uh, the tips, I feel like, go in spurts, and they go in spurts based on the media. So if there's like... When, when the Investigation Discovery show aired, that was a huge push. Um, 2020 did an episode on her as well. That was and huge push. And how did they
1: get those those reports done? Was that something the family asked for or was something that some enterprising journalist said, oh, I want to... report on this?
0: I think it's a little bit of both. Um, I know, um, I I don't, I I believe like the latest push was, uh, the oxygen series did, I believe a five or six part series. Um, I can't remember if it's five or six parts. Um, but, uh, and then Maggie Freeling and, uh, Art Roderick were the two that were involved in, and uh, going through and, and researching kind of everything again and talking to people again. And they were another part of the overall story. Like they've been involved. I'm not sure how long art's been involved, but I know that Maggie's been involved since, since the oxygen series. So she's been involved two or three years. Um, but she came in and the, you know, they basically went back through everybody and they asked all these questions again. And then they also got some access to law enforcement and interviews that had not been gained prior. So, um, you know, they, they've been sort of the latest push, um, uh, of, of getting new tips. So, I mean, the tips kind of come and go like the more attention and the more media and the more pushing that people do and the series that when they come out and get re aired, like that's also kind of funny. Cause out of the blue, you'll all of a sudden start getting a bunch of tips and you don't know why. And it's because the show re aired somewhere. Um, wow. and, and even, even is you'll get tips, not, not really tips, but you get people reaching out from you from like New Zealand, and they're like, I just saw this episode of Mora. This is so sad, you know. And with social media, it's you I mean, it's as fast as if you're sitting next door to your next door neighbor. Right. And suddenly they're all the way across the world.
1: Right. So the family did not have an instruction book or a manual. Yeah. On how to deal with this information. And. We're talking about a woman who is 21 years old. Yeah. So it's not a child. It's not a a question of that. And I think you do have the complication that, um, that you don't have when a child goes missing, for example.
0: Yeah. Helena used to say all the time that, uh, you know, families, uh, when you have somebody go missing, that families don't have like an instruction booklet of like, these are the steps that you need to take to try to find your missing loved one. Um, I feel that uh, Helena and Fred and, I mean, the whole family has done an amazing job navigating this very difficult path for Mora. Um, And they've, as much as you want to jump out there and and take help from everybody, they've been selective about the help, which is, I think, actually benefited them. I mean, there's a gentleman uh, that if if you do any research on this case, I'm sure you'll come across him that uh, wanted to write a book. And, uh, he just randomly announced, uh, on Facebook, uh, I'm going to the accent scene, I'm writing a book. And this was, this was about nine years ago, eight, eight, nine years ago. And, uh, I remember I reached out to Helena and I'm like, well, who is this guy? You know? Right, and and right. The, she's like, I have, we have no idea. We was
1: he even an author? Had he written other he, books? He
0: had written one other book I believe, uh, on a missing person. Ah. Um, and so the family, um, I think in the beginning they entertained the notion of being part of the book, but they were like, we're going to wait and see kind of how this gentleman conducts himself. And then he conducted himself in a horrible way. Um, I mean, uh, if basically his MO was, is if you didn't want to talk to him, he would find dirt about you or a family member and he would put it online. And he would do it in a way where he's like, well, I heard this. So he wouldn't like accuse you directly. Right. Um, but he would say, I heard this. And then it would kind of force uh, these people that were involved in Moore's case, whether they're friends or family, to come out and defend themselves.
1: That's unconscionable.
0: It's it's horrible. It's horrible. And it, and, and, and also, he brought up things that were so personal that had nothing to do with Moore going missing. I mean, right. absolutely no bearing on, on right. her disappearance. Right, right, right. Um, but this guy just went out there and he, that, that, this is his MO and he's still around. He's, he's.
1: Did he end up publishing a book?
0: He did. He did end up publishing a book. So Um, don't buy it. Nobody buy it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He, he also, uh, he also put, um, he, he originally had said he was going to give proceeds to the book, part of the proceeds to the family. And I don't think that ever happened. Pathetic. Um, But, but I mean, you know. Misrepresentation. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, like this is as many, amazing people that that, uh, have come forward to help the family. Uh, This is some of the downside of it.
1: That's a really interesting point that I had never considered before. It's not just the pain of losing your loved one and not knowing what's happening or where they are, but also the fact that you become an unwanted center of attention Yeah, and you get criticized and you have vile, horrible things said about you and your friends are targeted. Mm -hmm. I mean, it must be very hard to just go through life every day on top of just the, the pain of the incident itself.
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, Troy, who's the other Facebook admin, um, this, this author went after him at one point. He'd like no way! Yeah, he didn't know who he was, and Troy's just this average guy that's kind of like me, where we right. both were interested in the case, and Troy was attacked and uh, publicly, and so he had to go out and and defend himself, and uh, yeah, I mean that's just a shame. You know? I
1: when I was watching the original document documentary that you were talking about, there were a lot of details that I think were. Um, suggestive that that maybe she had run off and yeah. um, she had wrecked her dad's car Then yep. that Saturday night. She had um, texted her boyfriend that she, I think she was sad. She, mm-hmm. she sent some kind of text like that. And I think the documentary, I don't know if this is true or not, said she had stopped at a liquor store and picked up some alcohol. They don't know if she was drinking or not or if that had anything, they didn't think that had anything to do yeah. with the accident. But certainly... Things that happen in anyone's normal life, people are happy, they are mm-hmm. sad, uh, that that doesn't mean you can draw exact conclusions.
0: Right. Well, and I think that this is part of the, one reason why this case has gotten so much attention over the years is that um, in the manner, in a lot of missing person cases, you kind of go, oh, that was foul play or or that person ran away. Like you kind of feel like there's a, a direction right yes but when you really dig into morris case you know you could really start to because there's so much unknown you can really start to draw from a lot of different conclusions right so it's like um oh maybe you know maybe she was having problems with her boyfriend and she ran away like she just wanted to run away um
1: but he wasn't there. He yeah, wasn't he, at college. Yeah, he wasn't even in he the was state. Was somewhere else. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, he has a solid alibi. There's no proof that he right, had anything right, right. to do with her going missing. Um, but, but I think that that's that's part of the from the whole group of people that follow missing person cases. This is part of the allure of this case. Oh. Is that there's so many possibilities of what could have happened. I mean, um, and I, I think that that's a big drive behind that, that's popular amongst followers i mean there's any any day of the week you can go on to any of the facebook pages and you can read multiple theories of what happened and uh and we i get messages through the official page all the time of like this is what i think happened Yeah. You know?
1: and so you have a bird's eye view of all these theories and you're able to evaluate. Oh, we've already discarded that. We we don't think that's the case. I mean, is it a little overwhelming to have all this kind of information coming to you, or do you have the ability to have a little distance from
0: it? Well, I think it's a. I think a little bit of both, right? I, I think that that's actually a good thing. That, um, like, I have a hard time understanding how Julie and Fred could funnel all of the information that comes down the road that I see. Um, just because, I mean, I can't imagine that having somebody say like, well, this is what I think happened to your daughter on like a daily basis. Oh my gosh. Um, I don't know how you would function. So I think that, uh, I care very much about wanting to know what happened in this story. Obviously I wouldn't have been involved and been followed this for so long, but, but I think that, um, uh, Yeah. I mean, you get so many different people that like, you know, reach out on a regular basis. And because I'm not a family member, I probably uh, am a little bit more adapt to entertaining all of these notions where I think family members and friends probably are not. And, you know, and I and I and I don't that's not a bad thing for them, you know, in any way. I mean, I, I I feel bad that they're in that situation, you know.
1: When you receive these tips, do you immediately give them to the police or do you investigate them a little and then turn them over to the police? And what is your experience of the police in the area's cooperation? You said that the district attorney there is the same man who was there when Maura yeah. disappeared.
0: Yeah, Jeff Strizlin. So he's he's been there forever. Um, it's, it's difficult because um, it's a very small department up there. And so it's small not small town. Yeah, I mean I I live in Fairfax County, Virginia and there's 1500 police officers right. in, in my area. You know, when more went missing, I and I've heard different numbers, but I think that somewhere around 6 police officers that was the whole entire department. Wow. So, I mean, uh you know, it's uh, unfortunately uh, they're just like anybody else where they only have so many resources that they can dedicate towards things, but Every indication that I've had is, is that when they've been given credible tips, they generally follow up on them. Um, But we don't, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's like, because they can't come back and say, we followed up on every single tip because then you know (laughs) what, like, as soon as you take one tip to them that they say, well, we can't tell you, then you're like, well, maybe that's the one, you know? So, and they
1: don't want that information out there because if they're able to move towards finding out what's going on. They don't want to give right. people information if they're close to the resolution.
0: Well, and the, the problem is, is that there, there is no mistaking that, um, if you go look at the history of the case that law enforcement has made some mistakes concerning Moore's case. I mean, they just have um, more.
1: So you think than other similar cases, or is it just because it's a small town and I, lack of resources?
0: I don't know if it's, I, I don't know like how it would average compared to other cases, but I mean, there's like really simple things um, like uh, they didn't talk to Julie after like, you know, Maura's sister. They didn't talk to her after she went missing. Um, the, the police didn't. Right. Um, the, right. You know, and uh, they the first person to go through her phone records was Sharon, which was uh, uh, Moore's boyfriend's mother. Ah. And she went through the phone records and called all of these people to talk to them. She was the first person to do wow. that. So so this is... The
1: calls that Mora had made. Correct.
0: Yeah, like she basically took Mora's phone bill and like just went down the line and started oh, wow. making phone calls to the people that Mora had last talked to to try to figure out who these people were. So, I mean... And, and then, I mean, just little things. I mean, like Fred, when he showed up two days after his daughter had gone missing, he was the search, you know? That's crazy. So it's, you know, I think that they've made mistakes, but I also... Uh, I, th- I believe I was told at one point that they have invested more man hours on this missing person case uh, than, than in the history of any other missing person case in New Hampshire. So um, they have absolutely invested a huge amount of time in trying to find... Mora as well. And I know that the
1: community helpful or they,
0: yeah, they have been, uh, they, I think that the, uh, the overwhelming majority of the, the people that live up there have been very helpful. But, um, but I think that they also have gotten worn down. Yeah. So
1: 15 years, is a long time. Yeah.
0: and, And the problem is the same way that you get these warriors on Facebook that, you know, uh, would probably be a lot more polite to your face if you were standing in front of them. Um, you know, they, they'll blast the locals. I mean, I think just about every person that's lived close to the accident scene has been blamed for her disappearance at some wow. point. So, and I mean, and, 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 with some of these people, there's just zero evidence that they right. had anything to do with it, you know? So, uh, that, that, that weighs heavily on people. You know? Have
1: other girls or young women gone missing in this area? around the same time.
0: There was, uh, yeah, there was actually another girl, uh, Brianna Maitland, that went missing, uh, but she was in Vermont um, and but it was a right, right around the same time frame as Mora. And there's always been a lot of speculation on whether or not those two cases w- were connected. Um, weirdly enough, I think you uh, we may have already talked about this, but my uh, in a weird turn of events, my assistant lacrosse coach who works for the FBI here in Virginia, I was talking to him about this missing person case and, uh, he was, uh, um, used to be stationed in Vermont and he goes, Oh yeah, I know that case really well. And he actually was one of the three agents that worked to see if the more Murray and Brianna Maitland, uh, cases were connected. And so very strange. That, right. right. You know, Small like, world. Wait, wait what? <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, so he's, uh, uh, they he said that he doesn't think they were never able to find anything that connected the, t- the two cases but at the same time i mean you both you know they they both were young they both were female they both were attractive um and their cars were found uh, abandoned both of their cars were found abandoned um they both were in rural areas um so i mean you know i mean that there's just because they didn't find proof doesn't mean that there wasn't one person that was, you know, preying on women right. in the area. Right. So, right. I mean, I think it's can't discount anything.
1: And there have been some court cases related to this. You mentioned uh, earlier that Fred had to go to all the way to the Supreme Court in New Hampshire to try and get release of some information.
0: Yeah, I think that he had felt like that the case had stalled, and I think he felt that the police were not doing what they should. So he uh, sued the state police, sued sued the state of New Hampshire, basically to get files released. He just wanted whatever files released that they that they could. Um, this actually happened a, a, a long time ago. I believe that this was in the first three or four years after she mm-hmm. had gone missing uh, that this, that, that, he sued the state. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, uh, there wasn't, there wasn't much that he got out of that. Um, I think that the, uh, you can go online, you can actually watch the hearings. The, those are on the mm-hmm. YouTube channel. I think it's three parts. Um, but, uh, they basically, the court's, Uh, sympathize with Fred and the family and the problem, but I think ultimately they didn't really release anything back to him that proved to be helpful in finding his daughter.
1: So he had legal fees on top of everything else that... He was trying to do.
0: Yeah, I don't, I don't know the financial, like how much, but I know that, uh, there's a huge amount of people that have done work for him pro bono. I mean, Oh,
1: that's great. Yeah. I mean,
0: well, obviously
1: I would assume you are all the time that you put into this.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, it, so uh, one of the things that I think is interesting is, is that, um, I, a lot of people talk about GoFundMe pages now and like uh, oh in this you know, particular do, case yeah or? like donating oh. money and that sort of stuff and one of the things that's very interesting is is that um, it always comes up like it comes up every few months like people will say well, why don't why don't we start another page and, and there have been a few uh, GoFundMe pages like uh, Tim and Lance that do a podcast um, uh, with Maggie I believe they, they started a GoFundMe page when they wanted to do ground penetrating radar on a certain piece of property to search. So they, they got people to donate for that. Um, but what's interesting is is that, I mean, I remember bringing this up to Fred probably, I don't know, seven or eight years ago. i right. said, why don't we do like a nonprofit or like a, a donation page where we can then use that money? And his response was basically like, we've never needed to do that because every time we ask for something, people out of the goodness of their hearts have given it to us. Wow. So, so I, you know, I know that he's had attorneys that have done tons of stuff for him pro bono. Oh, that's great. Um, he's had private investigators. I believe at one point, Helena, uh, had even made a post that, um, they've had somewhere between, I think it was, uh, 15 to 20 different private investigators wow. over, over the years, wow. donate their time. Um, Yeah, I mean, uh, there's another gentleman that doesn't get a lot of uh, credit uh, publicly, but I think deserves a lot of credit, uh, Terry O'Connell. I I believe he was previous law enforcement and then uh, became an attorney. Um, And he's invested a lot of time and donated a lot of time um, to trying to find more as well. Um, So, And I I think that that's that's also something that's um, getting better. Uh, is communication Uh, i think for a while people stayed very segregated because they you know they were afraid of offending i know that's was my reason for only staying on my path of helping but but more recently i've reached out to more and more people to try to just bridge the gap because i just feel like all these people over the years have been involved somebody may have already investigated one part of this case and then they may talk to me or or somebody else. And then all of a sudden the pieces go together. Right. You know, so hopefully that's ultimately what happens.
1: I'm sure that's gotta be hard when you have different groups who have different agendas or experiences or whatever, and they're all trying to accomplish the same goal. But certainly in any human organization, you're going to have conflict and, you know, personalities and differences of strategies.
0: Well, I think it's interesting because I do think that a lot of the people that, um, there's people that like they get involved um, and everybody kind of will take it to a different level. And, um, but I also think it takes a big personality to like, like uh, uh, Nancy Corey lives locally here in Maryland and she, uh, she just didn't want to, she just didn't, she couldn't accept that uh, I'm just going to follow this on Facebook. So she started organizing searches and oh wow so up in new hampshire yeah so she she's uh organized several searches and just gone up there and they've just searched you know and just
1: uh, combing through the woods
0: yeah yeah i mean they've uh they've obviously they try to pick property they're not going on private property (laughs) and that sort of stuff but but yeah i mean they're you know they're they're targeting areas that are specific to uh, where they think it's possible that she could have gone. And, and, and so I just think that there's, but there's a lot of big personalities out there too. And especially with social media, everybody can interact like with one click. Right. So there's definitely been a lot of, uh, unfortunately people butting heads over the years. Oh, I'm uh, sure. And, um, you know, my goal is really just to, um, not not pick any sides like i just i don't really care about that stuff i really care about talking to people that can help find mora that's all i really care about
1: what are the latest developments in the case
0: so um there was a tip uh that had come in early on um within the first year of mora going missing that there was a house in the area of the accident um and that maybe something had happened to Mora at that point. There was a concrete floor that had gotten poured in this basement um,
1: after, the, after the accident.
0: Yeah, it was. It was. I think within a, a year to two years after Mora mm. had had an accident in this area, there was a basement that, like a house, that was being renovated, and and the basement used to be a dirt floor, and then it got a concrete floor poured, and there was some speculation that. You know, maybe something happened right. to her, and this is where, unfortunately, maybe they've hidden Mora. And so, because the house is under uh, different ownership now than it was at the time, they have uh, the new owners have given permission to the family to go in. So the family took two different dogs into the house, uh, the, uh, cadaver dogs, and both dogs uh, hit in the basement on the same area. And then they brought uh, the same company that had been involved in some other searches uh, for the ground penetrating radar. They have brought them in and they did a scan on the basement and in the same area that the dogs hit on the GPR company is saying there's an anomaly in that area. There's, there's some soil disturbance. That's unlike the rest of the, the area surrounding it. So, so really this, this, the 15 year anniversary, um, not only was it the anniversary, but now there's this big push to get law enforcement to excavate this basement or look at this basement. And there's some questions still on where we're going to end up with that. Like, right. is the family going to hire a company to excavate part of this basement oh. or is the, is the uh, the police going to come in and do it? Um, so, but that, I mean, I, th- I'm relatively certain in saying it's going to happen. Like the basement is going to get looked at. It's right. just, um, and I think that the impression that I get from Fred is, I mean, I think there's been some criticizing out there because they're like, well, why don't you just go? Th- they've given you permission to tear up the basement. Just go do it. But, but I think there,
1: he's not a crime scene investigator. Correct.
0: Right. And I think that Fred had felt like, you know, this is, how much further do I need to take this information? <laughs> right. Like I've gotten two dog, two independent right. dogs, two different right. handlers to come in and give hits on the same area. And I did a ground search. Like, and even, they
1: can smell through concrete. Yeah. Or-
0: concrete, it, it, it concrete's uh, porous, believe it or not. Um, and so, yeah. And, and actually, uh, I worked very briefly with some scent dogs just cause I wanted to understand. Um, but it's incredible. Like they can take a little piece of bone that's, 80 years old and stick wow. it at the base of a tree and then go do a search pattern with a dog and the dog will hit on that little bone. Wow. And, so, and I
1: was wondering about that, like the, the length of time, you would think I was thinking the concrete first, then the length, you know, presumably it would have been a long time ago and it still works.
0: Yeah. I mean, wow. so, uh, I mean, I definitely am not an expert in that area, but every indication that I have from, you know, uh is that yeah? There's probably something there. I mean, my my biggest fear is, is that they excavate the basement and then they do find just a little piece of bone or something that has nothing to do with a crime that's that's taken place. You know? Right. So right,
1: right, which is possible. It is possible. Yeah, particularly in that kind of community, I would think. Yeah. Um, kind of rural and right. you know, and and interesting too. Um, the the people that own the house now don't mind. The basement. I mean, they they didn't mind the dogs coming, but they also don't mind it being ripped up either. I yeah, I mean, it.
0: I, I mean, I have not talked to them directly, um, but I know that they've they've given permission. Wow. So, I mean, that's the down. I mean, here's the downside of, of Facebook, right. And social media and the, and the popularity of this case is there are just active communities right now on Facebook trying to figure out which house this is. Oh my gosh. And the problem is is that That's terrible. Well, yeah, and the people that own this house, they've given permission to to tear up their basement to come into their home, but they've asked to keep their anonymity. Right, right of course. Right? Of course, the, right. So, what are we going to do? So, here we have a group of people on Facebook that let's say they figure out the house and they and, and you know, There's all kinds of speculations. I mean, me and Troy and everybody else, you know, that's that that's out there. We we keep watching, but I mean, yeah, like what happens when somebody says, "Well, here's the address," and then the homeowners get wind of that, and then they go, "You're not allowed back in my house." Right. Now, the only way to get back in that house is with a search warrant from law enforcement, which law enforcement has already seemed to be a little bit hesitant to just jump right on this and go into this house and tear up the basement. Yes. So, you know, my concern is as good as social media can be, there's this fear that they might actually like release the location of this house and that the homeowners then go, I'm not letting you back in my house.
1: Right. And that's terrifying. Well, you wonder why the cops would hesitate on this. Um, if it's just an expense issue or they, they just don't feel like it's relevant
0: and it's, you know, it's so strange. Yeah. I know that, um, I know that, uh, the investigator, the cold case investigator that works on Mora's case. Um, I know that he said that there are other leads that, that they're following up oh, on. Um, not related. not we related think, to, to basement. the basement. Yeah, not related mm. to this basement. So I mean, I, I'm only speculating now, but I mean you know maybe they have something else that they've found that they think is more credible than this basement. and so that's why they're not it's not a high priority to go in and try to find what's going on. Um, that has
1: got to be so frustrating for the family. Right. It's like, oh, we've been waiting 15 years to have something like this and right. we have it and we did the work and right. why, why isn't it being, why, why is that lead not being put to rest? Right. Right.
0: And I, and I mean, the other part of it too is, is like, uh, with law enforcement, it's tough too, right? Because we sit and we ask these questions. Um, of law enforcement and why they're not doing it, but it's not really their place. Like they don't really come out and then go, well, this is why we're not doing it. Right. Right. And I understand why they don't come out and do that. It's not really their place to do that. So, so law enforcement takes it on the nose a lot in this case. Um, uh, but I think that everybody tends to forget that in the end of the day, if a searcher or a tip comes through somebody on social media and it leads to finding what happened to Mora law enforcement still is going to be the one to prosecute this case. Right. Like they still are going to be the ones that have to deal with all of this. So at a certain point, you can't like go to war with the police because you feel like (laughs) they're like dropping the ball because they're the ones that, that have to, to, to take the ball, the final, you know, the final, you know, push.
1: Absolutely. And the prosecutor's
0: office. Right. Right. And, and, you know, and I know that, uh, social media, the same way that it's been brutal with, uh, you know, family and friends at times, it's been even more brutal on law enforcement. I mean, law enforcement has really been attacked pretty, pretty bad.
1: Right. And they didn't ask for this. This is unwanted attention in a little sleepy town as well for them. And they're probably not used to dealing with that a lot. Yeah. I mean, that's their job, but you know, hopefully they can take that and run with it. But I, I do think it kind of gets bifurcated because there's the issue of where she is. So maybe this solves that issue. But then on the other issue, what happened if it turns out that they do locate her? What happened? Right. What happened? And for the police to, to you know, they have to have control of that situation.
0: Right. And I think it, I've, I've thought about that. I've thought a lot about uh, when when I went up uh, years ago on one of my trips, um, I went and I took a look at Maura's car because it, uh, I got permission. It's, it was actually just parked in a lot out next to Troop F uh, and actually in an unsecure area. It was just sitting in the grass next to the state police station for years wow. and years and years. But I went and I asked permission. Hey, am I allowed to walk down and look at the car? And they said that's fine. And uh, I was talking to one of the sta- that was
1: smart, by the way.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That would probably be a bad idea on advice just- of
1: counsel. Very smart to get permission yeah, before exactly, you do that.
0: Exactly. It'd probably be a bad idea if somebody looks out and I'm sitting in the, right. In the car, right, right? Right. But but no, I mean you know. So I remember talking to a law enforcement officer that was you know walking around with me a little bit while I was ah. he was letting me take pictures of the car and.
1: Had he been there when the case happened? Yeah, he'd he'd been there for a really
0: long time. And one of the things that he had said was, he goes, it's just so hard. He goes, I think that we may never know anything until like a hunter comes across some bones one time. And he's like, and then Uh. that's going to start the next chapter. And, And I've thought about that a lot because... That is the next chapter. Like, there's a lot of people out there that have a a family or loved one murdered. Right. their chapter is trying to find out what happened. Right. With Mora's story, we haven't even been able to get to that point yet. We're still wondering where she is. Right. Right. And and so that, I think, is so hard because that's only part, like, finding where she is is only part of the story. And then the whole next part of the story is going to start. And... um. I'm not excited about any of that, you know, I mean, I want to know what happened, but at the same time, it's just, you That's know, that bad. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm sure that the way that I would feel the day that w- we may find out where Mora is, is going to be even worse for family and friends, you know, and, and then, and then it's the next chapter. Right. right? right, right. How did, how did this happen? You know? Um, so it gives
1: me chills thinking about that. I do. When I watched that original documentary and I thought about the fact that this disappearance happened 15 years ago, you can't help but think about the cases. Like there was one in Ohio where the guy had three women, three yeah. girls that he'd kidnapped. Yeah. Chained it or however he confined them in his house for i don't know 10 10 or more years and yeah. then there was the girl in the backyard in california yep. who was kept there i think two decades yeah it's crazy and it's this crazy thing where you hope that she i mean i guess the best resolution is she took off and is living a happy life somewhere yeah. right i mean that's Right. Strange and crazy and hard to wrap your head around, given what her family said that she would never do that. Right. But that's probably the best outcome.
0: It's it's so hard, right? Because uh, like the, actually in North Conway up in New Hampshire, uh, which is one of the areas I said, I think that Maura may have been traveling towards or going to. There was a girl and I forgive me if I get some of these facts wrong because I don't know the case as well. But I believe her name was Abby Hernandez mm-hmm. and Abby Hernandez was kidnapped. And she was actually kept in a storage container um, outside this guy's house for about a year. And that's just crazy. Yeah. How does
1: this happen in our country? Like, I, I just have to interject here. How does this happen? I just, I can't comprehend it.
0: It's it's staggering to me. I mean, it's shocking. I mean, but um, ultimately, this guy—I don't remember what what preceded this guy letting her go. But he he eventually. Let, he let her go. Yeah, he. I think wow. he was fearing... Oh, I remember what it was. He he had dated this woman um, or met this woman and they'd hung out. He had given her um, con, con, uh, counterfeit money and she went to use this money and got caught. And she's like, well, this is the guy that gave it to me. Right. And she called the guy and was like, you're a dirt bag <laughs> and the police are coming after you. And he goes, oh, oh crap, I've got a girl in a... Right. Like locked up in a, in a Connex container. Yeah. That's worse but, than counterfeiting. Yeah. Like I, I need to let her go. So he, he put her in the car and he like dropped her off, like not far from her house. And the most shocking thing to wow. me when I saw that case was, um, there's uh surveillance footage. Like, you know, you have cameras on your house and there's camera footage of her a year later, just walking in the front door. And like, I cannot imagine having your child be missing for a year. Right. And then just out of the blue, your kid walks in the front door a year later. It's like a ghost. Oh my God. I I would lose it. I mean, you know, I don't know how, I (laughs) I don't know how you'd function. (laughs) No, I
1: don't know either.
0: But, um, but I mean, I mean, so there's been some speculation that, you know, like, um, if you, if you dig hard into more story, there was a report where there was a man and a woman that had come into a convenience store and that, uh, The woman said that that was Mora, with this guy. Oh, and um, and you know, there's never been a way. You know, the the problem is she didn't get a tag number. She didn't get this guy's name. Like, you know, no security camera. Yeah, no security camera. Uh, No security footage that I know of, anyway. And like, you know, so there's literally no way to follow up on any of that. Um, but she was convinced that this was Mora with this guy, and and I think even in it may have been in the doc, the first documentary, but that, that the woman you know, mouth like help me or something like that, Uh, you know? Um, but I mean, so yeah, I mean, and how
1: much later was that? I mean, that would take it in a totally different direction, obviously.
0: Yeah. I mean, that was, uh, I believe Mary Beth Conway was the one that reported on that. Um, and, uh, that was the Hanson express, I believe, which was like a local paper, um, uh, it's up to that area. And, and, uh, but yeah, I think that that was, uh, that was, something that she had found or come across. Um, But again, like, there's no way to prove because there was no more information. Right,
1: right. It died right Right. there. The lead is dead end. Yeah.
0: Right. But, I mean, that has fueled speculation that she was held captive. So, Mm -hmm. again, it's like every theory exists. You know, she ran away. She's held captive. She died from exposure. Right. Um, You know, like... There's a there there is a theory that not a lot of people talk about where, um, you know, she got into an accident on Saturday evening in her father's car, which was three days before she went missing on Monday, and then Monday she then got into another accident. Well, in both of those accidents, the airbags in the car went off. Oh, well, so maybe some yeah. kind of head.
1: Brain damage, or yeah, so you know, concussion, or something.
0: I actually, uh, I have. Oh. Uh, I mean, living in living where we live, you know, that everybody is law enforcement and yes. CIA, DoD. I mean, you know, there's every agency. Alphabet soup. Yep, pretty much. <laughs> I mean, that's that's all your neighbors. But uh, so I have a neighbor that um, uh, also worked in Fairfax County as a officer and she investigated uh, accidents and I had asked her, I said, have you ever had anybody that you walked up to and talked to after an accident? And they seemed okay. Originally like me thinking back to Butch Atwood and the bus driver and she seemed okay. Right. And she goes, yes, actually I, I came onto an accident. This woman had, uh, been into a car accident. I talked to her, she was totally fine. Like she, she explained the whole accident. She seemed totally fine. She explained all of the accident in detail. And then when I asked her her name, she couldn't remember her name. Oh wow. And when I asked where she lived, she couldn't remember her address, but yet she remembered every single thing about the accident. Crazy. So, you know, could something like that have happened tomorrow where like she seemed fine, but really wasn't because she had had two different car accidents in three days. And in both situations, the airbag had gone off. It's possible, you know. I mean, again, it's one more of those theories.
1: Was the first car accident a one-car accident?
0: Yeah, actually, uh, yeah, both were. Yeah, so I believe she ran into a guardrail. Mm. So Mm.
1: yeah, I mean, I just feel like with this case, there's so many questions and so much left unanswered.
0: Yeah, it, it, and that's part of the frustrating part of this. And I mean, you try to look at every uh, kind of situation very logically um to try to formulate what you think actually happened right but it's so hard because there's and you have to have an open mind right i assume
1: you don't have a, a pet theory because you get all this information and you can see all the possibilities
0: yeah i think that there's theories that are more realistic than others Um, I definitely kind of discount the alien theory. (laughs) (laughs) But good, I'm glad to know that. Yeah, (laughs) like I think I I haven't found any evidence (laughs) of that one yet. Um, but I mean, there's I mean, literally, you can find that theory online. uh, That's crazy. uh, In her case, and
1: they're like really making that assertion. Yeah, I
0: I actually never came across Ah. it, but Helena told me like, oh yeah, go to this years ago. She was like, go to this website. Like, there's literally people that say she was abducted by aliens. Wow. But um, but yeah, I mean, I, I. I mean, my, my gut tells me after everything that I've known that she probably, uh, met with foul play. And Mm -hmm. I think that she probably accepted a ride from somebody, um, to go get help. And I think that that turned into something else. And, and she probably met with foul play. Um, but but
1: she didn't want to take the bus drivers, well, I've
0: I've thought about that a lot. Um, one of the things that Helena had said was is that uh, Butch Atwood—he was kind of a big guy. And he had a big beard. And, oh, maybe
1: he's a little intimidating. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Yeah. That's really scary. So all young women should know that just like looks are deceiving. Either way. Yeah. You know,
0: ex- I mean, f- from like locals, they say that like Butch Atwood was like the nicest guy. They're like, this guy's like a big teddy bear. But right. but his exterior appearance could have been very intimidating to, to Maura. And so, you know, there was a scent dog that was brought in, I believe on that third day to try to track her scent. And it, it tracked only like a few hundred yards up the road and then just stopped. And so there's a lot of speculation that she started walking maybe towards the bus driver's house to maybe use his phone or one of the other neighbor's house to use their phone. And then somebody pulled up that maybe was less threatening. Right. And, you know, maybe closer to her age, who knows, and, like, said, hey, you know, do you, you know, and she, we also know that she had just passed a gas station only a mile up the road that was still open when she passed it. Oh. So not having cell phone signal, it's logical that she could have said, well, can you give me a ride to the gas station or, you know, and then right. she gets in the car with somebody that she feels is less threatening and then and then pulls off. But, I mean, if you, like, uh, when you... Like when I've talked to some of her friends, they don't feel she would have gotten into a car with somebody. Really? So it's hard. I mean, you just don't know. But if she'd
1: hit her head, maybe she wasn't thinking. And I think that's a really good observation, too. I hadn't thought about that. Right.
0: I mean, there's also been the theory that, uh, shoot, like I had this theory early on, like maybe somebody was, because where she was walking to, you kind of come around the corner, it's a sharp turn um, in both directions heading to where her car ended up. And, you know, maybe somebody came around the corner that was drunk driving, hit her. Right. And then covered it up. Right. I mean, you know, it was just, you just don't know. I mean, that's, that's the problem is there's so many of these theories and, um, and there's always like a rebuttal for all of them. You can say, oh, well, the drunk driving theory, how did it, how did nobody see somebody covering this up. And that's a good right. point too. Right. You know, but it could, I mean, right. like,
1: things work out badly sometimes. And and sometimes things like somebody doesn't see it or whatever. I mean, there are just so many coincidences and circumstances that you can't control. I do remember when I was in college, I was driving down route 50 from ocean city okay, back to DC, back to where I lived. And I got a flat tower tire in the middle of the night. I didn't know how to change a flat tire. I'm by myself. I pull over on the side of the road. I open the trunk to get out the jack to, I was going to try and do it and realize I didn't even have a jack in the car. So there was no way I was going anywhere. And a kindly truck driver pulled his truck over and yelled at me that I could not, you know, that I was driving so late at night by myself as a young woman, young college woman. And he fixed my tire And then he drove back, followed me, driving back to my exit off of 495, which is the Beltway in D.C. Yeah, And I just think anytime I hear these stories, I think, you know, these stories can always go the other way. Yeah. Yeah. It's
0: it's hilarious that you say that. I had a guy that I used to work with, this guy Clayton, really, really great guy, great sense of humor. He's from New Zealand. And he he there was a woman that was broken down on the side of the road. And he's just that type of personality. He would stop and offer. Right. So he stops. He gets out to offer. And the woman freaked out <laughs> on him. Oh, no. She's like, get away from me. I'm calling the police. Like, you're you're wow. trying to kill me. And he's like, oh, my <laughs> God. Like, I literally stopped. Like, I'm the good guy. I have a like, white like, hat on. He's like, okay, I'm leaving. Okay. Like, right. But, I mean, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that we live in a society where people are... You question that like you don't know what people's intention are you know?
1: absolutely so so we talked at the very beginning of this podcast about how there's no manual for families when yeah. they have someone who disappears could you write that manual now with I don't your know experience? if I, I
0: don't know if I could write it I mean I, I I certainly would have a lot of input to it after all these years um, I can say that the that the driving force between behind all of these missing person cases is usually family, friends and volunteers um, to keep it alive, at least in, in the public side. Um, and I know that uh, law enforcement uh, generally wants all these cases solved, too. Oh, but, yes. But I mean, if you look at the staggering number of people that have gone missing.
1: And how many was it again that you I said mean, roughly?
0: Yeah, it's 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 crazy. I, I heard a statistic that uh, like this morning when I was trying to look this up, it's 600 to 800,000 people a year, but then a lot of those people are found again, right? They're, they've run away. They've been found. They're kidnapped by a family member. A lot of kids kidnapped by family members, like a mother takes the children, her father takes the children, and then they're reunited. But um, but active cases, I think it's in the ballpark of like 120,000 active missing person cases right now that are kind of cold case Related, um, which is
1: almost double as you said that we lost in the Vietnam War, yeah. the entire Vietnam War.
0: Yeah, it's staggering, and um, so yeah, I mean, uh, but but keeping public light on the case is really hard to do, um, and and
1: is that why you're on this podcast today?
0: Yes, it's a hundred percent why. So, if
1: people want to find out more about Mora, where can they go?
0: Well, I would say uh, a couple different places. Definitely go to. Um, the uh, Facebook pages. There's two official pages. One is the group page. The other one is the public figure page. Uh, the public figure page is just called Maura Murray official. Uh, and then there's, uh, two good podcasts that have been done. One is, uh, uh done by Erin Larkin. It's 107 degrees. Um, and she has, I think almost about 20 episodes. And then, uh, there's Tim and Lance um, that have more Marie missing podcasts and they have almost a hundred podcasts on, on her going missing. And then, so
1: not just one show. Yeah. No, they have a hundred episodes about her case. That's correct. Wow.
0: Yeah. Um, that's predominantly there. That's, that's them. I mean, you know, they've been doing it for, for a while. They got involved, I guess about six years ago, something like that. Um, and then in my mind, uh, the one that I think hooks everybody, which is the one that I sent you is, uh, the investigation discovery show that was called miles to nowhere. Uh, and the series was actually called disappeared, but, but Maura's show was called miles to nowhere. And if you go on YouTube and you go Google Maura Murray, uh, and you look at YouTube videos, it's usually one of the first ones that come up. It's about, I think it's about 40 minutes long and it is phenomenally done. Um, and then of course the oxygen series, like I said, just did their series. Um, and so there's, there's a bunch of stuff that's out there and I, 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 I could, I could keep listing people to try to give credit, yes, you know, cause you hate not giving credit <laughs> right. to somebody. Um, right. but, but yeah, the, I mean, there's a lot of information out there. I think, I think the first place to go would be to watch the miles to nowhere that, that really gives you a, a good understanding of kind of where it all started. So
1: Scott, thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, we just all pray that Mora is found. Yeah, me too. And that her family and all of these great volunteers and friends have resolution. And I pray she's found safe. Maybe that's not what's yeah. going to happen, but I hold on to hope.
0: You can always wish for the best. So I appreciate it. Thank you.
1: This is Gail Trotter. You can like me on Facebook. You can follow me on Twitter. You can follow me on Instagram. Please subscribe to my YouTube channel. You can subscribe to this podcast, Right in DC, on iTunes, and you can leave a review. Most importantly, you can support this podcast on Patreon. We have great t-shirts as gifts for patrons, courtesy of Hard Hits Custom Apparel, We would also like to thank Trio Caliente, a local DC group, for the music on the podcast. This is Right in DC.
0: You're Right in DC with Gail Trotter.